0: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: Real love is
0: calling,
1: it really makes us feel warm and fuzzy and, and visions of butterflies when we talk about, you know, the whole world, we're all God's children. Not in a strict definition, we're not. You're a child of God when you believe that God is your Father through faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, who died on a cross for your sins. So we're we're all born naturally as part of God's creation. We're all created in the image and likeness of God. But to be specifically a child of God means that you have surrendered your life to Him and you're born again. This
0: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 John. God created us all in His image, but that doesn't mean that you'll spend eternity with Him. You're faced with a choice to follow Him or to turn away and follow your own fleshly nature. In the message today, Pastor Gary will teach you that you're either a child of God or a child of the devil. He'll remind you that the return of Christ is getting closer and time could be running out. Have you committed your life to Jesus? And if not, what's keeping you from taking the step of faith? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 John chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: At some point, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt on the platform there in Jerusalem alongside what is currently there, which is the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And so there is room right there on the Temple Mount for the Temple to be rebuilt. There are Jewish Zionists who have fashioned right now, already made, the Articles of the Temple, longing for the day that the Temple will be rebuilt so that then they can place the Articles of the Temple into the Temple and again implement sacrificial uh, worship of the Lord. And so The antichrist is going to broker a deal and somehow it will be agreed upon that muslims can coexist with jews on the temple mount and the temple will be rebuilt you know this almost happened there was almost a peace deal struck at camp david under president clinton with then ehud barak prime minister of of israel and yasser arafat who was the leader of plo they almost came to terms for this very thing to happen, uh, but Yasser Arafat held out for 100% of what he wanted, even though he was given like 90% of what he wanted, and it wasn't enough, and so the deal didn't happen, but it was close, and it's not going to take much, because you know when there's constant friction and hostility and, and uh, war and conflict, eventually people are going to settle for anything just for peace. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that eventually people get so exhausted from the conflict that they're willing to do just about anything to secure peace. And the Bible predicts that the temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount, but that the Antichrist will enter the temple proclaiming himself to be God and demand to be worshipped. Another thing that we read there in 2 Thessalonians is that he will be revealed after the rapture because it tells us in what I just read Paul says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time? And he adds, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, in that passage there in 2 Thessalonians, those pronouns he are capitalized because it's referring to the Lord. So it's telling us that God is restraining the revelation of the Antichrist until a particular time, obviously God's timing. But what he adds there, Paul tells us there in 2 Thessalonians, is that what is in part restraining the, the, the coming of the Antichrist, or the revelation of the Antichrist, is he, and that he there in 2 Thessalonians 2 refers to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is restraining the work of the Antichrist from coming to full revelation. The Spirit of God, however, is going to be taken from the earth at the time of the rapture. When the church is raptured, the Spirit of God goes as well, and thus the earth is going to be absent the Spirit of God. When that restraining force is taken with the church, when the church is raptured and taken from the earth, when that happens, then the Antichrist comes into full revelation. Number four, he will also, the Bible tells us, perform counterfeit miracles and deceive people. Uh, it tells us in the passage I read there in Second Thessalonians that the coming of the lawless one is in according to the work, working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And so part of the work of the Antichrist will be counterfeit miracles. And people will be deceived. And they will think, in fact, some, that he is Messiah. And then finally, number five the Antichrist will be overthrown and cast into the lake of fire. It tells us there in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And so all of this comes to a climax of the battle of Armageddon. The Lord returns, and he brings victory to to Israel and to the God of Israel, because really the battle of Armageddon is against God and, and against Israel because it, the God of Israel. Uh, but Jesus returns and uh, levels all the armies that are in opposition to God, and uh, and then he casts the Antichrist uh, into the lake of fire with Satan and the false prophets. So uh, much to come, uh, Antichrist, not the most cheerful topic, uh, but nevertheless One who is, if not already on the world scene, soon to come under the world scene. But because I believe, as scripture teaches, that the church will be raptured before the full revelation of Antichrist, uh, I don't believe that we'll be here to see all of his evil. Um, But yet, the Bible tells us to be aware of it. Now, let's go back here to 1 John, because he encourages us in the midst of all that talk about the Antichrist and Many antichrists, small a, plural, are already in the world. You know the spirit of antichrist, and and we get this right. There's there's opposition to Christianity around the world. There's opposition to Jesus around the world. He says, but in verse twenty, look at it again. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now that doesn't mean that we know everything. What he's saying is in the context of what he's talking about, he's like, you get this, right? Because this shouldn't surprise you. And the reason is because you have an anointing. Now, the circle of the word anointing there in your Bible is he's going to use it two more times before the end of the chapter. And the word anointing, I, was, I have a, a, a Jewish commentary. And in this Jewish commentary, it says that literally can be translated, you have been Messiah. You have been messiahed. Because the word anointed, the anointed one, is the Hebrew word mashiach, which is where we get our English word messiah. The The Greek equivalent is Christos, Christ. So Christ in the Greek, Christos, mashiach, messiah in the Hebrew, mean the same thing. It means the anointed one. And the reason it means anointed one is because literally... Uh, in the Old Testament, when when kings and prophets would be raised up by God, they would be anointed with oil, with olive oil, set apart. It was God's way of setting them apart as holy unto his purposes. And so you see that in the Old Testament, kings were anointed, prophets were anointed. The one who is the ultimate anointed one is, of course, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And, and because we have relationship with him... Thus, we have that same Spirit of God in us. So, oil in the Bible is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. That's why in James chapter 5, James talks about if anybody is sick among you, anoint them with oil, because oil is not magical, but it is symbolic of someone, and the symbolism is of the Holy Spirit. And so what the Bible is simply saying to us is we have an anointing in the sense that we have a relationship with Jesus and thus the same spirit of God that was upon him is upon and in us. The word anointing, you know, and my charismatic friends love to throw that word around like it's something, you know, uh, that is supernaturally uh, restricted to a select few that God has chosen to anoint. I have news for you. You've all been anointed. If you know Christ as your Savior, you've been anointed. It, it, we, we've made it into a, a fancy word that it really applies to all of us. You know, sometimes uh, I will, and I know what people mean by this but sometimes I'll finish a teaching. And, and to be honest, I can tell the difference between when I feel like, well, I felt like that really connected. And there are other times I will leave the pulpit and think, well, I just walked a dog. I mean, every pastor has felt that. I'm just admitting it to you. There are times I'm like, hey, that was pretty good. And other times I'm like ah, I walked a dog there today. But there are times where people will say to me, oh, pastor, Oh, the anointing was really on you today. Oh, the anointing was on you today. And what I sometimes think to myself is, you mean last week you didn't see that? Because does it just come and go like that? No, I have news for you. I may not be on my A game always, neither are you. But as far as the anointing goes, it's over all of us all the time in Christ because the Spirit of God rests on you that rested on him. So don't make too much out of the word. I have the anointing. I feel the anointing. I feel the anointing. And you know what I'm talking about. In some circles, of the church, like, I got the anointing. I feel the anointing. Oh, the anointing's gone. No, it doesn't work like that. All right? It's the anointing of God from the Holy One. That's why you understand these things. That's what he's saying. He says in verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is, is of the truth. Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist. You know, anybody who denies that Jesus is the Christ is operating in the spirit of Antichrist. But verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 24, therefore, let that abide in you. Circle the word abide. He loves this word. John uses the word abide 20 times in just the epistle of 1 John. 20 times. That's more times than any other book in the New Testament. The word abide here. It is the Greek word meno. M-E-N-O. We get our English word remain. Just, it's just a simple understanding. The word abide just remain. Just, you know, be, be solid and, and, and steadfast and remain. Therefore, Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. He's warning us, like don't be deceived by the Antichrist, small a, the spirit of Antichrist in the world. But he says, here's the word anointing again, verse Verse 27, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So basically what we're saying is, you know, if you remain in Jesus, just, you know, be, be steadfast in your relationship with him. As you abide in him, the anointing of God's spirit is in you and with you, and, and thus you understand the truth because God reveals it to you by his spirit, and that's why he says basically there in verse 27, you don't need anyone really to teach you. I mean, all of us who have the spirit of God can have an understanding of God's word. I mean, it's a privilege for me to to teach it, and, and I love doing it, um, and it's a calling on my life. but. You know, you don't need me. I mean, I mean, you know, honestly, you, you can take your Bibles, you can read your Bibles, you can pray through the passage, and the Spirit of God can bring understanding to your hearts, and, and that's because He's given us of His Spirit to discern these things and understand these things. And and thus, that same anointing teaches you, He says there in, in verse 27, concerning all things. And it's true, and it's not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. Verse Verse 28, and now, little children, abide in him. I told you he loves that word. Abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So let me just park it there before we go to chapter 3. We've got a little bit of time, but I wanted to just read out of John's Gospel, chapter 15, 15. Because, you know, John, who wrote, who wrote 1 John, also wrote the Gospel of John. And, um, and just, he, he quotes Jesus using this word abide as well. So I just wanted to read it because I think this is the reason why he's kind of fixated on the word abide. Because he heard our Lord use the word uh, so often here in chapter 15 of John's Gospel. John 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me who remains in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Jesus says, but if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And and on and on. So, you know, uh, Jesus used that word abide many times there in just that simple passage I read out of John 15. And I think, you know, John hearing that, recording it back in the gospel, also loves that word because he's emphasizing remain in Christ. You know, don't drift from him. Don't wander from him. Remain in him. Be steadfast. Stay in the Lord. Remain. Meno. Remain in him. Abide in him. We'll get a little bit here into chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Behold... What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God? Isn't that a good verse? What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God? Now, I know um, a lot of people like to throw that terminology around and say, we're all God's children. Uh, The fact of the matter is, um, we're all made in the image of God, we're all part of his creation, but we're not all God's children. That's a misnomer. The Bible makes it clear that you become a children of God through faith in Jesus. That's how you become a child of God. In John 1, 12 to 13, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's John 1, 12 and 13. And so what John tells us in his gospel is that the way that you become a child of God is you surrender and you accept Christ as your Savior, and then you call upon God as your Father, and then you're legitimately a child of God. Because he's about to say here in the rest of chapter 3, which we, we probably won't get to There's a difference between being a child of God and a child of the devil. And he's going to be very specific about it. He's going to talk about that there are real children of God and there are real children of the devil, and you either belong to God or you don't. If you belong to God, you're a child of God, but if you belong to the world and the world system and you follow the ways of the world. By default, you are children of the devil. Now, I'm not saying, as what John is saying to us, very strong language. Jesus also makes similar statements. We'll talk about it more next week, but it's not this universal concept. I know it, it really makes us feel warm and fuzzy and, and visions of butterflies when we talk about, you know, the whole world, we're all God's children, not in a strict definition, we're not. You're a child of God when you believe that God is your Father through faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on a cross for your sins. So we're we're all born naturally as part of God's creation. We're all created in the image and likeness of God. But to be specifically a child of God means that you have surrendered your life to Him and you're born again. That's how God becomes your Father. And so he, he distinguishes this here. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. Now, because we believe, we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Talking about our glorified state. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So, in other words, he's giving us a glimpse into a glorified state. Because John says here, listen, we become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're born again. God is our father. And, and then he, and he gives us this glimpse about the future. And he says, and then there's going to be this time when we're glorified with him. And we shall be like him. You know, when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is, Paul would write in Philippians 3.21, that God will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's what John is talking about here. He says, we, we don't know everything. We know in part now, but one day we're going to see the Lord. And when we see the Lord, we're going to be just like him. And we're going to have a glorified body just like Jesus has. And, you know, when you think about some of the aspects of the glorified body of Jesus in John's gospel, John chapter 20, it talks about how the disciples were meeting together when Jesus appeared to them. Suddenly the doors were locked and Jesus then appears in the room with them. So in our glorified state, we are not going to be restricted by space and matter. That's going to be a good thing. It's going to be a good day. You're going to be able to walk through a wall. You're going to be able to be transported, go from here to there. And the other thing is, it's this imperishable thing that happens with our glorified body. Jesus was still recognizable. You will still be recognizable in your glorified body in heaven. But one of the aspects that we will enjoy, because our bodies will be like his, is that it will be incorruptible, imperishable. In other words you 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 won't you know get old you won't get sick you won't die because you you die you know here's the beauty when you get saved if you're born twice you die once if you're born once you die twice everybody get what I mean by that if you only experience a natural birth you're going to die a physical death and you're also going to be dying an eternal punishment right But if you are born twice, if you're born a natural birth, and then you're born again through faith in Jesus, you you only experience one death, which is the natural death. And then you go to be with the Lord forever. And when we go to be with the Lord forever, we get a glorified body just like Jesus has. It will be unrestricted by space and matter. It will be incorruptible, imperishable. Jesus ate in his glorified body with his disciples. Remember on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. So you can still eat, but you never get fat. You, you never have to worry about what you're eating. I mean, it's going to be a glorious day. You're going to be able to eat whatever you want, and it won't matter because it's just going to be eating for the pleasure of it, not for the survival. So there's a lot of aspects of the glorified body of Jesus that I'm looking forward to. And, and I think those of you who are looking forward to your glorified body, the more you look forward to your glorified body is because the older you get, you look more forward to your glorified body. Those of you who are still young and, and all buff and you go to the gym and all that stuff and, you know, you're all swole and all that stuff and people look at you go, oh, wow, aren't you swole? Well, yeah, well, get ready. It's all fading away. But the good news is, the good news is that when you get a glorified body, you're going to look even more ripped and shredded than you do now. We're all going to be walking around in heaven like, you know, and it won't perish and it won't fade away.
0: And up and up, and jump in and you'll find the your connection run your new life. Thanks for joining us today on Cornerstone Connection to study the book of First John. Pastor Gary will have more to share from this New Testament letter when you join us next time. This book calls for consistent faith in good times, in chaotic times and everything in between. You may be in a season of joy and satisfaction. Are you still trusting God to provide for you and lead you? You might be facing hardship right now instead. Are you leaning into the love and constant support of your Creator? He's with you in all of life's seasons, and He can continue to transform and grow your faith in Him. Continue to seek Him in the Word, in prayer, and in fellowship with other believers. We'd be honored to pray for you for whatever season you're in. Would you get in touch with us and let us know how we can do that? Call us at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Do you have a church family? If not, we'd love to step into that role for you. You're invited to be part of our weekly services here at Cornerstone Chapel. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get the latest information on service times and regulations so that you can join us safely, either in person or online. You can also visit our Facebook page for information. You'll find a link at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Study God's Word here on Cornerstone Connection. They say
1: you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know